Well, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I want to read there as we talk this morning about weapons of war. Now, I've never been in a war, um, not a physical war. I've never been in the military. One of the things I love about FBCO is we have people from all kinds of backgrounds. We have lots of military types. We have lots of civilians, and we get to kind of intermingle. I'm very grateful for people who who are or have served in the military. I'm grateful for their sacrifice and their willingness to serve. And thank you for all of you who, who do that or have done that. We are grateful for you. And I remind you that we need each other. You military types need some civilians in your life. You civilians need some military types in your life. There's some real advantages that come with that. And even though uh, sometimes we love each other and we have our hearts broken because um, you know, we get moved away and that sort of thing, it's worth it to love deeply, and there's some great advantages that come with it. But because I've not been in the military or in a war, I, you know, I'm, I'm at a disadvantage when it comes to talking about weapons of war. But I have read about wars. I've read about Civil War, lots of books on the Civil War, read lots of books on World War II, and really a smattering of all the wars America's been involved in and some others that we, that we weren't involved in at all. And it's safer that way. Like, I've never had, never been shot at from a book. You know, never had a bomb fall from a book. Though one time I did get a paper cut. And I just tell you, it hurt really, really bad. I wish one of you military types would just check in to see if I can get a, a, purple, uh, a, a purple heart for that injury. I don't, I don't know if that's possible that you can check in. On. But, man, the Bible tells us that while I've never been in a physical war, I'm in a spiritual war right now. I'm in right now. And so are you. Maybe you're ignorant to it. Maybe you're unaware. The enemy loves that. I think it's one of his strategies in this day is just to keep you unaware that you're in a battle. But I'm telling you, it's going on all the time, all around you, in you, whether you realize it or not. And the Bible tells us we're in this battle and that we need to fight it well. And so in 2 Corinthians, we, we noted the last weeks as Paul talked to the church of Corinth about being generous. And now he's kind of turning his attention to being really to thinking rightly and to following the Lord carefully and to watch out for the false apostles and others who are teaching incorrect doctrine. As we see that, we're going to see more of this battle that's taking place. So let's read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to read with verse 1, beginning with verse 1 through verse 6. The Bible says, Now I, Paul, myself, appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble among you in person, but bold toward you in absence. I beg you that when I am present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we are living according to the flesh. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete. Let's talk about this spiritual battle we're in, the weapons of war that we use. And I'm going to ask you to take notes. If you're watching online, you can take notes as well. Write these things down. If you're in person, write these down on the back of your worship guide. And let's note these weapons of war the Bible talks to us about. Number one, would you note, we battle with a Christ-like spirit. With a Christ-like spirit. That is, God cares about how we fight, not just what we do, but how we do it. And let's note some words here, four particular words I want to call your attention to from verses 1 and 2 that talk to us about this Christ-like spirit we're to have. 
the first two words, they're kind of in groupings of two, the first two words are the words meek and gentle, or meekness and gentleness. And let's note those words together. In verse 1, the Bible says, Now I, Paul, myself, appeal to you. And I love that personal connection Paul has. There's something about the personal appeal. God could do everything without us, but God uses us. We can be a witness for him. God doesn't need us. He could do it without us, but he wants us to appeal to others. We are, the Bible tells us, this book of the Bible tells us, we're ambassadors of Christ making God's appeal. And Paul's saying, I'm, I myself appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now, we don't use the word meek very often anymore. It's almost a word that's fallen out of um, usage primarily in the English language. But if we do use it, we think of it as weakness. But that's not what this word means. The, the word is, is really strength under control. It's not that, it, that we're weak when we're meek. It's not that at all. It's that we have control of the strength that we possess. In fact, notice here the Bible says, I appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Of Christ. So Christ is certainly strong. He's not weak. He's certainly strong. But he teaches us about meekness, about that control of strength. And the word gentleness, well, we don't think of that in terms of our culture, do we? But the Bible says, Paul's saying, I'm appealing to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Gentleness has to do with kindness here. It applies in verses like the book of James where the Bible says be quick to listen. That's what we do quickly. But we're to be slow to speak and slow to anger. So we think before we speak. We're slow to get angry. We're, we control our strength with meekness. We're kind. Meekness and gentleness, gentleness matter. Poor Paul did not seem to understand the role of social media. Because social media teaches us something very different than meekness and gentleness. It talks to us about being angry and forceful and argumentative. We don't have discussions, we just have arguments. Everything matters. I mean, it's the most important thing. Whatever I think is the most important thing in the world. And if you disagree with me, you're the worst human who's ever lived. I mean, that's the, that's the way of our culture today. Social media sort of feeds that. You get approval. You get more followers if you speak in harsh, angry terms. And yet, the Bible tells us to be meek and gentle. Politics. Man, it's a, everything's about politics now. Everything becomes political. And there are no discussions in politics, virtually just arguments. And it's about how it appears and what it looks like and what it feels like. And right and wrongs have almost been forgotten. And there's certainly no meekness or gentleness in that world. And I'll just tell you, that's part of the modern church. As though the Bible doesn't talk to us about a Christ-like spirit. As though that doesn't, ma doesn't matter to the Lord. And yet, this is in the Bible. Paul is appealing by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. It's a Christ-like spirit. Then notice the words humble and bold. In verse 1, the Bible says, I who am humble among you in person, but bold toward you and absent. In verse 2, he says, I beg you that when I'm present, I'll not, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we're living according to the flesh. We'll see more about those people that are really fighting against the message of the gospel and against the truthfulness of God's word and teaching incorrect doctrine. And Paul said, 
uh, he puts these words together, humble and bold. The word humble is another word that's almost fallen out of our language. In fact, as you may note, and I've said this on occasion, the only time we hear the word humble, almost, almost without exception, is when someone gets an award and they said, I'm humbled by this award. Now, they can be humble in getting an award, of course, but they're not humbled by the award. They're far more likely to be proud of getting the award. The far, in far greater danger of having a swollen head by the award, not being humbled by the award. So we've almost lost sight of this as a culture, even in the Christian world, that God tells us to be humble. The Bible says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And He will lift you up. So here's the idea of humility. It is seeing our weakness. Seeing our need for God. Recognizing that we are weak and frail and fallen and broken. That we've all been broken by sin. We all have a frailness as a part of the human condition. I was reminded of that this week in shoveling snow. It reminded me of humility a little bit. Man, I, my wife thankfully got me a snowblower a couple of years ago. She saw that um, I didn't have enough life insurance, and so she bought a snowblower to kind of you know, help me live a little longer. And, but I, I have parts of that, and I, I'm grateful for that, but there's parts of that. i got a long driveway, and i got to shovel some of it. And I was reminded of how hard that is for me now, and as I gotten older you know I can't do it like I did when I was 25 years old I mean that's at least 10 years ago right at least I did say at least at least 10 years ago man it's harder and I'm reminded of the frailty of life and that life's like a vapor I know it. I'm just telling you you'll see that more and more those of you who are young man your life is going to go and you're going to say what happened and how did those old guys know it's coming like this because we we just watch our bodies frailty we watch the frailty of our human condition how easily sin enters our world, how, how easily we forget about the things of God. Wait, I mean, listen, we, and humility matters deeply to God because we will never find the strength of God if we think we have the strength we need. We'll never find it. If we're depending upon ourselves, and not to say many people are fighting this battle, the spiritual battle of life with their arms tied because they think they're so strong they don't need God. And that, we are not immune in this room or watching online. We're not immune from that. We can begin to think that we, you know, God's sort of lucky to have us or that we can fight this on our own. Or, you know, God, if I need you, I'll call you, but I'm going to take care of things. And the Bible tells us to be humble. But it also says bold. Paul says, I'm humble. I who am humble among you in person, but bold toward you in absence. He talks about his plans to be bold with those who have gone the wrong direction. Now, being bold means we are trusting God, and we're trusting that God can use weak vessels like us. Being bold means we have great confidence in God. So we, the Bible tells us we can have confidence in prayer, that God hears us. We can have confidence to come into the presence of God broken sinful fallen people that we are weak in our own merits and strength but we can have confidence by the blood of jesus shed for us that we can come into the, god's presence forgiven of our sins when we've given our life to christ and come to into christ's presence with boldness we can be bold in our witness that god is able 
to use weak vessels like us. This who's your one emphasis is just a reminder that God, God's the only one who can save. We can't save anyone. But the Lord uses people like us to accomplish his purposes. And he can even use the witness we give. God accomplishes his purposes through people like us. And so we have boldness in sharing and boldness in witness and boldness in prayer. And those two concepts go together. We're humble when we recognize how weak we are and how broken we are. We are bold when we recognize how great God is and how he can use broken vessels like us to accomplish his purpose, his purposes. So we might say it like this. We want to do the right thing and do it in the right way. So we want to do the right thing. We want to be bold, but we want to do it in the right way with meekness and gentleness and humility. We fight with a weapon of a Christ-like spirit. Don't gloss over this too quickly. Christ cares about what you do, but he cares about how you do it. And a Christ-like spirit will always matter. And in a world that has lost sight of a Christ-like spirit, even in a generation of Christians who sort of lost sight, forgotten about the Christ-like spirit, I want to remind you that even our boldness is done with meekness and gentleness and humility. There's a second principle I want you to note. We battle by God's strength. By God's strength. Not our strength, but by His. Verse 3 tells us the battle is spiritual. Verse 3 says, though, for although we live in the flesh, and we're human, frail human people, flesh and blood, we do not wage war according to the flesh. It's not just a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. And the Bible is telling us that it's not the flesh. By the way, can I just remind you that we have a tendency to depend upon sort of, sort of think of ourselves just in, our, in terms of our flesh instead of the spiritual work of God in us. So we might say something like this. Maybe you say something like this. That's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. That's my tendency. That's my nature. That's the way I am. And the Lord says, I'm going to transform you. God transforms. He doesn't leave you where you are. Yes, you come to God with brokenness. Yes, you come to God with tendencies. Yes, you come to God with your past and your problems and your habits and your hang-ups, of course. But God does transforming work. It's a spiritual battle. He doesn't leave you where you are in the flesh. He transforms us. And we depend upon God, not on our talent or our wit or our possessions. If the battle was just physical, we depend upon our talent and our wit and our possessions. But it's spiritual, and so we depend upon God. And the spiritual is what's going to last. The, I, I know there's a big football game next week. I, I love sports in general and football in particular, but can I just remind you, just put a little perspective on it. And I know it's a big, a big game in the scope of the world and millions of people will watch it. I, I get all of that. But in the scope of humanity, it's a small thing. It's a small thing. I, I know in the culture, the culture says this is the greatest thing, most important thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. But in the true history of the world, in the scope of humanity, this is a small thing. And many of, the, many of the things that we think of as small things, the spiritual battles that God cares about so deeply, that will last for eternity. So that a million years after the world has ended, if, if there's such a thing as years after the world has ended, what we have done for the Lord will matter still. And so the battle is a spiritual battle. And notice well that our weapons are powerful. Verse 4 says, since the weapons of our warfare 
are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God. Now, I want you to see that in the text. They're powerful through God, not powerful through you or me, but powerful through God. God is the one who does the power. God's the one who uses us to accomplish his purposes. It's his strength that we need. And they're powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds, for the demolition of strongholds. Now, you may have some strongholds in your life, things that are just tough and problems from your past and difficulties from your experiences and the personality quirks of life and all the things that all the baggage that you brought to this place with you this day i am thankful for a god who is able to tear down walls in the old testament days you see all these cities that had walls there's a common thing jerusalem had walls all the way around it many of the cities did but can i tell you on many occasions those walls fell and very often in the old ancient days of warfare Though a city would build a wall to protect itself from the enemies, they could gather there to keep themselves from the enemy. There were siege engines that were used against those walls. Battering rams of all kinds and sorts, catapults, things that would just batter those walls until they would fall in Jerusalem and other cities fell at the strength of those siege weapons. And the Lord is saying, man, I whatever stronghold you have in life in your life whatever wall has been built around you whatever your past brings whatever the baggage is god is able god is stronger his weapons are more powerful all the all the strongholds of our generation materialism and pornography and on and on all the strongholds of this generation god is able by his strength to overcome those in your life so let's note kind of an application, four ways to fight our battles powerfully. I just want to mention four ways we fight our battles. Number one, we fight our battles in prayer. We fight best on our knees, church. We fight best on our knees. We don't just get in a formation of flanks or something. We get in a, we fight on our knees. And so some of you are doing a battle and you've just never realized this great, powerful tool by which you fight this battle of prayer. And perhaps God is reminding you this day to get on your knees before him and seek him and bring that problem to him. Whatever difficulty you have, whatever hurt, whatever pain, whatever struggle, bring it to God. Fight on your knees. Whatever's going on in your family, whatever's going on in your marriage, whatever's going on in your personal relationships, whatever's going on in your finances, we fight best on our knees. And we almost forget that. We we think we just fight by our, with our hands and our feet, so we have to do things. And sometimes the Lord is just saying, be still and know that I am God. and Spend time on your knees before me, and there's a power to prayer. Secondly, we fight our battles in the Word. We go to God's Word to find strength. In the book of Ephesians, the Bible talks about the armor of God, and we put on all this armor, the breastplate of righteousness, etc. But there's only one offensive weapon, and that's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is the offensive weapon. It's the means by which we attack the strongholds of the enemy and fight the battles that need to be fought. I want you to know what God says. It's easy to know what the world says. It's easy to know what the culture says. But find out what God says in His Word. Number three, we fight our battles with other believers. With other believers. Boy, this is one we need for this generation I, some of you have heard me say I've had, I have three brothers and we fought as kids, just fought all the time. But when someone outside the family fought, boy, that was, boy, we banded together. 
and we'd fight together. We just hope their big brother wasn't bigger than our big brother. That's what we hope. But man, in, in our church life, we are, a, we are a family. God made us for a family. He made us to fight together. We need each other. We need each other. And we're living in a generation that needs each other as never before, and yet is more isolated than it's ever been. You know, God, he gave a remedy to this isolation. The enemy loves to isolate you and just pick you off. God, he gave a remedy. It's called the church. It's a God idea. It's a God plan. It's his strategy. And so the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some. We need each other. And you may say, well, I don't really need anyone else. I'm fine like I am. Maybe you're more introverted. Maybe you've been hurt by someone in the past. Maybe you just, I don't need anyone else. Now I'm going to have to decide whether or not I'm going to trust you or God. And you're going to have to decide whether you're going to trust your feelings, your personality, or the Lord himself. And God tells us that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Brothers sharpen each other. One of the reasons we gather together is to encourage each other and strengthen each other and support each other. Never more isolated, but never have we needed each other more. And we fight best together. I love to see our small groups, our life groups. I love to see them gather and pray in, in times of crisis and moments of difficulty. And there, there's always, man, it, you're, you'll face that at, in life yourself and so will others and we need each other and number four we we fight our battles with the holy spirit god doesn't just say hey you know what just do the best you can i'll read about what i say in the word and just do the best you can no god the holy spirit in salvation comes to live in you he's not out there he is in you the holy spirit god the holy spirit living in you to give you the strength you need to face the battles. And so there's not, listen, there's some sins that are too big for you. Some problems that are too great for you. But there's no sin bigger than the grace of God. And there's no problem bigger than the Holy Spirit in you. And God is able to accomplish his purposes. And God, his weapons are powerful. And we battle not in our strength, not by flesh and blood, but by the Lord's power himself. God's strength that he gives to us. There's a third principle I want you to get. We battle for Christ's supremacy. For Christ's supremacy. It's like we have a, a banner under which we fight. And, it's, and that banner says, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's the basic summation of what it means to be a, a disciple. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Not me, I'm not Lord. Not my circumstances, not my culture. Jesus is Lord. And so let's talk about what that means Four things I want you to note with me. We're to, number one, we're to stand on truth. Verse four says, at the end of verse four says, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that's raised up against the knowledge of God. We're, we're to stand on truth. God tells us that the truth sets us free. God tells us it's like a solid foundation upon which we can build the, the life that we live, the house of our life. Our, we build on the truth. God wants us to know the truth. That's why he gives us his word. It's why he calls us to study and learn and grow because he wants us to build on the truth. Our culture says something quite different, doesn't it? Modern culture says things like follow science. Even though science is frail human people, there's no absolutes that modern culture says, though 
that's an absolute statement. There's no such thing as truth, and your truth might be different than my truth, and whatever I feel is truth, and just follow, follow science, even though, can I just tell you, our culture doesn't follow science on the sanctity of life, even though we see the viability of that child, or, you know, follow science on that. Our culture doesn't follow science on gender, even though, even though the Bible tells us about gender, science can tell us about gender. We don't follow it on that. We say we decide from ourselves what gender we want to be. The Bible says something far better. Stand on truth. Stand on truth. Now listen, if you follow the culture, you're going to have to change your ideas of right and wrong all the time. Because what's right today will be wrong tomorrow and vice versa. It just happens all the time. I've lived long enough to see plenty of that. And if you follow the culture, whatever it is you say, this is what's right. Tomorrow that very well could be wrong. But God says, I'm going to stand on the truth because that's never going to change. And it's a solid rock. And when the storms of life come, you're going to have a foundation upon which to build. Now, not only do we stand on truth, we're to know God. Verse 5 says, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. The enemy wants us not to know about God. But God wants us to know him. And we can know him in two ways. We can know him, we can know God biblically so that we're not shaped by the culture. You know, the culture even shapes what we, how we view God. Some of you view God as like a little weak, you know, like a grandfather who loves you but isn't quite sure what your name is, but, you know, seems like a nice guy. That's how a lot of people view God that way. That's not the God of the Bible. Powerful, strong omnipotent, omniscient. We can know God biblically, but we can also know God personally. And I want you to know God wants you to know him personally, not just to know about him, not just to know his attributes, but to know him. You need to be saved. You need to be born again, the Bible says. Jesus tells us that it's not enough for us just to know about God, but to know him. God wants to adopt us into his family in salvation. You can become God's child. And if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, some of you here have learned all kinds of things about God. You've heard all kinds of stories about God. Maybe you've even come to church a number of times, but you've never trusted Christ as Savior. I want to plead with you today to give your life to Christ and to trust him. Turn from your sin, recognize that he died for you and rose from the grave for you and Give your life to Christ, declare him as Lord, and Christ will save you. We can know God. And then the Bible tells us to obey Christ. Verse 5 says, and we take every thought captive to Christ. Every thought captive to Christ. So the picture here is the, the enemy who takes our thoughts hostage. And he does that. And the enemy does that all the time. He loves to attack you at the, in the area of your thinking and your thoughts. And he takes your thoughts captive, thoughts like lust and greed and jealousy and bitterness. And the Bible says we are to take every thought captive to obey Christ. So the battle for obedience begins in your mind. That's where it starts. The battle for obedience begins in your mind. It's not just what you do, but it starts with what you think. And as we think like Christ thinks, we begin to do what Christ wants. Obedience will always matter to the Lord. It will always matter to the Lord. God will always care about your obedience to him. We are not to be just hearers of the word. We're to be doers of the word. 
God is, when we say Jesus is Lord, we're not saying Jesus is an advisor. We're saying he's Lord. And so obedience naturally follows that banner and that statement. And then we follow the Lord. Verse 6 says, and we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete. Paul's talking here, and he'll flesh this out more in the verses to follow, that we're to follow the Lord, not just to It's not just a one-time experience that you have and then nothing else, but to follow the Lord, to live in obedience, to live a life that trusts Him, that thinks correctly, that cares about right doctrine, that learns the truth and lives the truth. God wants you to follow the Lord. So when I'm reading those Civil War books, there's always the grave danger of a paper cut on the way. I'll sometimes read about battle flags. And in Civil War days, those battle flags were really important. Regiments would have their own battle flag. If you were in this area, from this area, you might have been in the 9th Illinois Infantry. And the 9th Illinois Infantry would have its own battle flag. It would be distinct from other battle flags. It would have a certain look. People would care about it uh, dearly. They'd be very loyal to it. If someone got injured or killed carrying that flag, someone else would pick it up. It, it was the place where you would rally. It was the place where you would find your assignment, hold the line, and do your duty. It mattered deeply. And the Lord is calling us to his banner. It says, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. And he's saying, rally here. And take your place here. And fight your battle under this banner. Because you're in a spiritual battle. I want you to do it with a Christ-like spirit. I want you to do it by my strength and not yours. But I want you to do it under the banner that Jesus is Lord. Bow with me for a word of prayer, please. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, why not today? You're watching online or you're here in person, trust Christ as Savior. Would you give your life to Christ? Be saved. Christ can save you. Declare Jesus as Lord in your life. Christian, would you say, God, I want to recognize I'm in a battle. I, I hardly, hardly even notice it sometimes. I forget it sometimes. The enemy clouds my thinking and confuses my, my understanding, but your word clarifies it. I'm in a battle, and that battle matters, and how I fight it matters, and why I fight it matters, but Lord, help me to fight it well. And whatever face I'm facing, I know you're bigger than that. Some of, some of you are here facing some big battles. I don't doubt that. All the brokenness, all the past, all the pain, all the problems of life. But God asks you to fight it in his strength. And the Lord, the Lord cares about you being engaged in that battle. Would you say, Christian, would you say again, Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord. Not just advisor. Not just a helper. Not just a savior, but you are Lord. And I want to declare that again in my life and fight under that banner the battle you have for me. Father, thank you for your word, the power and truth you teach us, the hope it gives us. And Lord, help us to fight our battle well for your glory and for your honor. We thank you that it's not dependent upon us, but upon our willingness to submit to you. Help us to fight it with a Christ-like spirit. Help us to do it in the right way. 
Help us to obey you and follow you. But Lord, we thank you that we can have victory in Jesus because of what you've done for us on the cross of Calvary and the resurrection morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.